Hey there, and welcome to FM On Demand with Tara Fitzpatrick, Food Management's podcast. It's me, Tara, your host. And today we're focusing on fermentation with chef and GM Michael Cleary. He's with Bon Appetit Management Company at St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. And over the summer, he has just taken a deep dive into pickling things, fermentation, making homemade hot sauce, um, some pickled mushrooms. He's starting the kimchi club this fall for the kids. Like, I was just like, how cool is that? Um, so just on the culinary side, we have a really fascinating conversation. And I think this will be interesting to you. Like, if you're thinking about delving into pickling a few things, especially like during this harvest time where you might have some veggies that you want to save for the winter. So there's just a lot to talk about. And we, we get into um, student engagement and wellness, all good topics with Michael Cleary. So thank you so much for listening and join me as we get pickled. Hello. Welcome, Michael. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> it's nice to be here. Absolutely. And we're going to get right into fermentation soon, but I wanted to first see how's back to school been going? How has the end of summer, the beginning of the fresh new academic year, how, how's it been going for you? Uh, it's been going well. Uh, through the summer, we were moderately busy. Uh, but it starts to pick up in August and we get early arrivals. Um, once those early arrivals are sort of in the system, we flip over to a board plan and that's sort of when all of our budgetary stuff kind of kicks in. So um, meal plan swipes, um, all of that good stuff, you know, hard and fast schedules. So mm-hmm. yeah, so we're, we're, up, we're about a week into that right now. Okay, it's all getting underway. Very cool. Yep. And do the students seem pretty excited to be back and like ready to start their new year? Yeah, they always start off strong. Um, <laughs> it's because it's always, you know, it's a rotating group of people that are coming through. They're filtering in, filtering out. So mm-hmm. this year's freshmen, they are coming on strong. They're eating us out of house and home. <laughs> nice. um, we we track all these metrics and we can see, you know, just how just how hard they're hitting us. And that, you know, they talk about freshman 15. Well, we we can kind of see that, you know, in, in real time as it, it's happening. As it sort of piles on. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That would definitely be me. I think for sure. Yes. And it's so many good things to choose from that you guys are doing. And Bon Appetit of course is known for like, let's make it from scratch if we can. And this new project that you're working on kind of got started with the desire of make your own hot sauce. So right. tell me a little bit about that, the origin of that. Sure. Uh, so um, myself, the executive chef and our sous chef and our director of operations were just talking about things that we could do to enhance our, you know, our serving area, which was recently renovated. Mm-hmm. And we'd always sort of had an idea of putting things into jars and sort of preserving. And that idea was sort of out there because it, you know, it fits the space and it fits our, our philosophy. Um, so this summer we had a little bit more downtime than um, normally we would because other areas of campus are under renovation and construction. Yeah. So we wanted to use that time. And so we thought we'd take some time to learn how to ferment and teach ourselves some of those principles, learn about the HACCP process, learn about um, what it would take to sort of, you know, 
make simple things that we go through and we that we tend to buy from our broadliners, mm-hmm. you know, make those things in house. So hot sauce is one, kimchi is another, dill pickles, sauerkraut, you know, we purchase all those things. We want to make yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like just for the benefit of some of our listeners, I would kind of encourage you to do it because if you're a food service operator, you have, you know about HACCP and you have those things. Whereas like me, just as a home cook, like things could kind of maybe go wrong or it wouldn't be safe. But it's like you had mentioned that you have those things in place. So you're constantly checking temperatures and times and you know what's going on with that. So it seems like this is something that a lot of people could maybe try. Uh, yeah, I think the one, probably the one, there's one or two pieces of equipment that the home cook wouldn't have and doesn't necessarily need, but mm-hmm. they are helpful. And that's like a fermenting jar specifically that has mm-hmm. um, a release valve on it for the gas yeah. and then a pH tester, some way of testing pH. Okay. So when, when you're feeding, when you're in a residential situation, you're feeding a large group of people, you really have to be careful with um, monitoring those exact, um, those levels so that you're serving safe food. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing like a new section for my podcast that I will call book report or book club. I haven't quite thought of the name of it, but there is a certain book that you referred to. Um, it's the Noma guide to right. fermentation. And I have seen this book before. It is a tome. Like, I think yeah. it's, it's like 20 pounds. And I was at, um, a chef's event in Napa and, this one chef had, it had just come out like a few years ago and he had, he had brought it with him. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so heavy. And he was bringing it like onto campus and like, just so obsessed with this book. Like, oh my God, it tells you everything. So what were some of your um, book report notes? <laughs> what are, what are some takeaways that you kind of found in that crazy cookbook? Well, yeah, th- that's a great cookbook. And the author is um, David Zilber. And he, of course, works at Noma, the restaurant, which is the Rene Redzepi restaurant. I have the book, but I, yeah, Rene Redzepi. Yeah. And that's in Copenhagen, I believe, although oh, I yeah. might want to fact check that. It's, um, it's on our bucket list. It's like every yeah, yeah. <laughs> would love to go there. I'm kind of yeah. doubting if I'll ever make it there. But yeah, it's like <laughs> super just well known. Yeah, time's running out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so we, I have that book and I had seen it, I had followed a couple chefs on Instagram who were really hyping it up um, when it first came out, which I think was in 2018 or 2019. Right, yeah. And um, so after seeing sort of some of those opinion leaders sort of come out with those great endorsements of it and seeing how, you know, for weeks and months afterwards, all of their Instagram posts were based on these ferments they were doing and how excited they were. <laughs> like everything. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought this looks, this looks like fun. This isn't just yeah. your average, you know, pickling, putting something in a jar. This is a different level, you yeah, know? Absolutely. So there was a recipe for uh, pickled or fermented porcinis in there that I thought was really good. He specifically in that recipe um, mentioned that frozen porcinis work just as well, if not better for that particular process. And you know, living here on the East Coast, we don't see fresh porcinis too often. If no, we ever yeah. do see them, they're imported from the north of Italy. So yeah. frozen porcinis are way more available. I, I could get some of those and I tried it and it was really good. Oh, that's very cool. What was it like? Because that's, that's sort of a, um, like the texture of of that is like puffy, would you say? Like how, how did it, was it, yeah, it when you took it out? It's a dense mushroom. Um, mm-hmm. It's meaty, but it's also got that sort of umami character to it oh, um, yeah. so that 
you know, you can dry them out and make powder. Or I have a friend who's, who has a pasta company. He makes porcini pasta with it. Nice. Um, there's so many things you can do. Um, it just brings, when it's fermented, it just takes that umami flavor and adds another level of funk to it, which is oh, really neat. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that funk is like such a big part of fermentation. And that's, that's what people are looking for. And um, speaking of kombucha, or if you're listening, you can't see this, but I have a kombucha yeah. <laughs> in honor of our, our interview. And then I was like, oh boy, I hope I don't start like belching during the interview. <laughs> it's a little bit, it does your stomach. And yeah. it says right here, it's like bubbly probiotic tea for a happy gut. And it's like, who doesn't want a happy gut? And we're, we're learning so much more about like the microbiome. And, um, and I was thinking too, in terms of college students, like, are they seeing sort of like self-care within the items that they're eating more than, than ever. Yeah. I, and I think at that college level, I think that what's equally as important is the messaging about it. Right. So, you know, college student, and I know when I was in college, I could go for weeks without touching a single probiotic. <laughs> sure. They didn't really know what they were, but, you know, I could eat junk food for weeks and weeks. Oh yeah. Then, then have a salad one day and think to myself, well, I'm eating healthy, you know, and, <laughs> right. and I, you know, be, make perfect sense. And it was totally a coherent thought for me to have, but oh, for sure. Um, just by having that messaging out there and having those options in the dining hall, I think we're, I think we are changing people's diets a little bit, you know, because when I was in college, there was the greatest thing about the dining hall where, you know, was the cereal bins of which there was a whole wall. Yes. And, you know, the, the crazy amount of junk and fried food that you could eat. Oh you know? my gosh. And yeah. sometimes like in this, for me, this was like mid to late nineties, early two thousands, but that cereal wall, sometimes they would have soft serve there. So people would yeah. just go wild <laughs> with that. That was a thing. Right. We had a place that had like a chicken parm sandwich and that was just the pinnacle of the, the best thing that you could get. <laughs> right. At that, time. And that, that was probably one of those breaded chicken i mean maybe it was made from scratch but i don't think so <laughs> yeah uh breaded chicken patty which you know like a and that was with some marinara sauce and some mozzarella and parmesan on it you know that was it that was put our it on a soft roll you can eat that you oh know gosh, that was our favorite absolutely yeah. yeah it wasn't it wasn't a thought i wasn't thinking about i I've, I've always have been interested in food but like the college dining hall was never a place where i thought like oh this is really this is neat but now it's just changed so much where did you go to college uh, I went to um, University of Buffalo um, in obviously in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I, well, I was in the SUNY system. So I kind of went from SUNY school to SUNY school, but I, I graduated from UB. Cool. Yeah. The SUNY schools are pretty good now, like with, with their food. There are a, a lot of them I've covered recently and they're, they're all over, all over yeah. the, the vast Western and Northern upstate part of New York. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we have a geography lesson corner. But <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it was, I enjoyed going to school there, but when I was there, food was no one's priority. You know, yeah. it was just what, whatever classes and education and professors you had, you know. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a thing like it was. Um, yeah. And you're like on your current campus where you're at now, you're connecting with students in a really cool way. Like first I want to talk about the blog and then we'll talk about the kimchi club. Mm -hmm. And the blog is called Formaggio Electrico. Is that right? Electrico. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so cool. How'd you come yeah. up with the name and what is it? Well, uh, it's, it's a, it's a food, it's a regional food in, from Italy and that's the thing about some regional foods is it's, it's sometimes it's hard to track them down 
um, because they may exist in a region, but then you go to the next region and no one's ever heard of it. Yeah, but I, right. I found it in a, there was a John Mariani cookbook that had, it was a glossary of Italian terms and I found it in there huh. and just thumbing through it, I read it and then I tried to do some research on it and, you know, it's melted cheese with like some hot peppers kind of stirred. That's where the electric it. comes in. It, it gives you a charge. How fun. I love that right. like, descriptor. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and I, I, you know, it's like fondue, I guess. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I would, yeah. I would eat that all day. That sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 So the blog, and then you're, you're shifting it over though, to focus on fermentation, right? Right. So the blog has been in existence probably now for 10 years. It was started by a student in 2012 hmm. who has sort of since moved on um, and who, when she was doing the blog, focused a lot on various sorts of, sorts of fermentation, but not exclusively on that and including wine because she had an interest in in wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at the time on campus, we used to have a, here at St. John's in Annapolis, we used to have an event called In Vino Veritas, which was a big wine event and um, lots of, you know, sort of wine, influential wine people and alumni would come to this event. And um, the student, her name was Emily, she would go and cover that for the blog, you know, and she would write all about it. So it was always a fun event. And they've since stopped doing that, but Emily has moved on to being a, an assistant winemaker now. So she, how cool is that? Fun. Yeah, oh yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of the origin of it. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. So that's, and we'll put a link to um, along with this so people can check it out if they would like to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk kimchi club and really like every Korean person that I know, kimchi is such a, it's like, it's their heart. Like it's such yeah. a comfort thing. It's so important, like just to the culture, no pun intended. <laughs> but, yeah. so, so tell me about the club. Well, uh, the club is sort of, hasn't really started yet. We're only in the first few weeks. We're in the first and second week of school. Um, we're coordinating it through um, one of the resident advisors here on campus. Awesome. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wait probably until the students kind of settle into their schedules before we really get underway. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's basically three, four or five students that we will carve out some time on the weekend, either Saturday or Sunday for them to come in and make kimchi. Um, other students had approached me about this in previous years. Mm. Um, and we just, you know, we thought it was a cool idea, but um, they're so busy all the time. And we just thought, well, we'll, yeah sort of put that on the back burner but now that we're doing the ferments it seemed like a really great time to, to bring that up you know and we have a you know an increasing number of Korean students uh, on campus and what I've discovered is that the sort of conventional kimchi that we are able to buy mm -hmm. even from very good small-time um, fermenters that we've found around the area yeah. is still not as good as the kimchi that your grandmother makes or your mother makes or you might make totally and eat you know pretty quickly after you've made it you know generally that kimchi that you purchase has been sitting around for a while that's you know? interesting so it's it's yeah. preserved but you don't want to eat it too old is that right well I, you, you can but I, there is a certain joy in eating kimchi that's maybe a little more on the fresh side um so okay. it, it has been cooked and you know enzymatically the way that it's cooked when it's pickled 
Yeah. Um, but it is still relatively fresh and there's a certain, there's a certain funk that goes along with that and a certain, um, you know, energy to it when you're eating it. I've noticed it since right. we've started making it here that that kimchi is, it's like a fresh salad. It's, and that, you know, it's, cool. it's just very fresh. It's got a lot going on. The crunch is still there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just a, there's a variety of, of acidic notes and funkiness that you, when it's been sitting for a while, some of that stuff dissipates a little bit. You yeah, know? or maybe turns into something different. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not that same thing. And do you feel like um, Americans are getting to know kimchi by like putting it on things? Like, I feel like I've seen it, like let's put it on a baked potato or like here's a kimchi quesadilla. Like are there, right. like how, is that the best way to learn about it in the most authentic way or, you know, whatever that means? I, I think it's a sufficient way to learn about it. I mean, they, um, and I think when you put it into a rice or like I've seen kimchi fried rice, we might run that sometimes in the dining hall or kimchi grilled cheese. I think what you're doing maybe is um, using it because uh, and, and sort of getting that flavor in there, but you're not, it's, it's not just that flavor. You're blending it with other flavors, obviously. Right. Um, so I think if, I think it's, it can be a fun thing to eat, but I think the real practice of eating kimchi, I think there's, there's, you know, you're sort of eating it by itself or you're eating it as part of the banchan, which is part of the, you know, the um, Korean table, you know, mm-hmm. and it's different, I think, when you eat it that way. But it's very American to put it in a grilled cheese sandwich or a quesadilla yeah. or something. You know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of like our way to, <clears throat> and people say this all the time, like pairing something unfamiliar with something familiar. So yeah. we can kind of ease our way into that's it. it. And that's when you're running a food service operation, that's you think about things like that because you you want people to be willing to try it and you want it to be like accessible. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think just eating kimchi by itself for most Americans would be kind of like eating sauerkraut by itself. <laughs> right, right. Um, they're similar, but they're not the same, but it's about, you know, so if you had a salad bar and you just had some sauerkraut sitting on the salad bar, right. look, look kind of odd. You wouldn't know what to make of it maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I need a pork so. chop with it. I think. Right, exactly. Even though I'm trying yeah. to eat less pork, I really don't want to, but <laughs> that, that would call for a pork chop. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. For, for sure. And then shifting gears a little bit, um, this is something that that I wanted to ask you about last time that we spoke, but I didn't, I forgot about it. But um, the James Beard House, what, oh, yeah. what was your experience like there? Because I've never been there. I'm, I'm not New York based. My colleague, Brett Thorne, has been there many times. And he recently did a podcast where he kind of like reminisced about going to different dinners there. And my understanding is like a team of chefs will come and you, you have to bring all your own stuff and then it's this thing. So like, how, how did it, how, what was your experience like? Yeah, it was exciting. Uh, I didn't, uh, of course I knew about it and I never, but I never expected to ever go there and cook. So mm-hmm. when the opportunity came up, I was pretty thrilled about it. I was, you know, became one of those things that, you know, you are thinking about a lot during your day and you're wondering, you know, what you might do. I went over my menu item, you know, uh, but in our case, it was, um, there was a chef, Philippe, uh, Philippe Chin, who at the time was working at uh, Hopkins for Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. um, who had cooked there previously. So he, in the eighties, he had a restaurant in Philadelphia that was pretty famous um, and he had been invited there. So he knew the players at the James Beard house and he was able to get us, uh, a reservation there um, to cook 
And so we, you know, I guess they kind of looked around and they thought, you know, they said, okay, who, who are the chefs, you know, from the East coast, because we are a big company, but from the East coast, who would want to do this? And mm-hmm. my name came up, um, but there were other names from Brown university and from uh, UPenn and uh, Roger Williams and MIT. Oh, nice. um, so all those, I don't want, and Hopkins, I don't want to leave all those chefs, anybody out, but that was, <laughs> those were the chefs that were there yeah. uh, for that event. And we just did something called back to school, hmm. which I think was just sort of a, a catchy name. That sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to sort of include some elements of things that we might prepare for our catering menu or for something that we did at our campus. Mm-hmm. So we had um, like a first course, which is, you know, we had some vegetarian offerings. Um, we had some fish course, you know, using sustainable fish. Um, we had amuse-bouche in the beginning. I did sort of a vegetarian course. We thought that would be sort of an important mm-hmm. marker to put on there because a lot of our company is about um, plant-based proteins and, um, and sort of getting away from um, getting into more sustainable eating habits. Mm-hmm. So um, my dish was a, was a dish of gnocchi and I roasted a um, celery act like a steak almost and sort of included that in there. Yeah. What was that first so, thing that you said? Gnocchi? Gnocchi, yeah. Like gnocchi. so. Yeah. <laughs> you it so well, I couldn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, that sounds good. And, um, is that also, that's celery root, also known as celery? Right. Right. So um, I think it was actually in Noma, the restaurant, who a few years ago made a big deal about they were doing a celery act or celery root shawarma where they had put these celery roots on a spit and they were basting it. And I'm not sure the process exactly. I think they might have salt cured it. Um, I could be wrong about that, but they just they spit roasted it and they basted it. And when they were done, they were shaving the celery act off of the spit just oh, like shawarma how so cool is that what i thought that was neat i tried to mimic that in a pan you know in an iron pan with, sure, with some yeah. basting and stuff like that so i like that yeah. idea it's yeah the only way that i've ever made it and like i never had it growing up or anything and the first time i tried it was from like a hello fresh box or a blue apron mm-hmm. and those they're really good for getting you to try different things. Like, and I, I recommend that for, this is not sponsored, but I recommend those for somebody who's just starting out, like maybe their first time living alone. Cause my little brothers, two of them, like just starting off on their own that helped them get cooking a lot because yeah. it gives you all the ingredients. Like, but anyway, it was, um, you dice the, um, celeriac and I boiled it and then drain it and I mashed it like a mashed potato. And then, um, I think there was some cream cheese involved. It was mm-hmm. really good. And then everything bagel seasoning on that. Oh, nice. It was delicious. Like, and I've, I've recreated that a couple of times because the flavor of that is so surprising. Like it doesn't, it's kind of not anything like celery really. Like it's, it's reminiscent of it, but it's like so much richer and like, yeah, that's, that's an amazing, what are some other plants that you have done like cool stuff with? Um, let's see. Uh, celery act, I guess is one, um, I think pickled turnips are really nice. So um, that's pretty typical in, um, in uh, sort of Middle Eastern, maybe Lebanese cooking or Israeli yeah. cooking, pickled turnips. Mm-hmm. You often, you'll, you'll pickle them uh, and then you'll stick like a, a slice of beet in there and it will turn them pink. Nice. And so, that. yeah, yeah. Like in yeah, Eastern if, restaurants, yes. Right, if you, if you go to get a falafel, they might be a garnish on there, but 
I've always loved the flavor of those. It's just the turnip has this nice flavor for that. Yeah. Know. Talk about an underappreciated vegetable. It's like no one thinks about turnips. <laughs> we right. And I'm, I'm sometimes I have no ideas if I have some turnips, I'm like, geez, I don't know what to do with this. You know, I can't just pickle every turnip that comes through the kitchen, but exactly. um, <laughs> yeah, it, it can be a hard, a challenging vegetable to work with, you know, but you, you have to add some stuff to it, you know, for sure. you have to add some sweet sweetness to it helps. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it takes a little bit of love <laughs> to get yeah. it going in the, the right direction where people want to eat it, definitely. And so this, the, the fermentation thing, it's going to be like more, you're going to do more with it. But right now it's starting kind of salad bar centric. Could you talk a little bit more about like how you picture it evolving? Sure. Yeah, so um, basically right now we are sort of in the, the high point of, um, I guess, the harvest. So we're getting all the best summer vegetables oh, right yeah. now. We're getting the huge selection of peppers from our farmers. We're getting all the tomatoes, oh, yeah. we're getting great herbs. We're getting eggplant. And, uh, um, it. Yeah, it's all good stuff. We, we, what we wanted to do was, was to either pickle or preserve some of those things, or at least come up with a process for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, realizing of course that doing it the right way is going to take it like a year's worth of planning because you're going to want to get all the, obviously all the, the HACCP and everything else lined up correctly, but then you're also going to need to put something in place because, you know, the harvest begins right at the time when we're getting back into full swing. Mm. Um, so we want to have those things sort of ready when our students come back, we want to have a selection of Yes. Um, preserves and pickled items that, and that, that whole process takes longer than, you know, a few months. You really have to sort of build it into your schedule. Oh yeah. But that's how I, how, how I envision it. Um, you know, especially with tomatoes, we go through tons of tomatoes. Yeah. Here we, we go through, now I couldn't even tell you how much. I mean, <laughs> Probably literally hundreds of pounds. I would be surprised. Yeah. It could, could easily be tons. <laughs> it, 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 by the end of the year. I mean, we, you know, and we spend about 25,000 a week just here and we're a small college just yeah. on food. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of, you know, there's just the cans and those, yeah, those, those cans are hard metal. They do get recycled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of all the things that, we found out recently don't get recycled. Those, those metal cans do get recycled so yeah. long as they're not. They had corrupted. a coffee can and I was like, this is fantastic. They were like steel. Yeah. It's infinitely recyclable. It said that on yeah. my coffee can. I was like, that's sweet. Cool. Yeah. But still we'd, we'd, we'd reduce our garbage by volumes if we started to, yeah, exactly. Make our own tomato preserves in house or can some tomatoes or just, oh, yeah. just to peel them and store them in the refrigerator. You know, we could, or, you know, even to freeze, Oh, Most yeah. of the time with our tomatoes, we're making tomato sauce with them. You Can know? you make sun-dried tomatoes? Yes. That takes a lot of, takes a lot of space though. You need the literal sun to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you need mats. Like they do that in Italy. I've seen pictures of it where they lay these giant mats out on rooftops. Oh yeah. And you've got to have somebody, you've got to cut the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Um sometimes the tomatoes are peeled sometimes they're not yeah i know what you mean yeah yep. and that's something that's coming back like that is like sort of like a, a 1980s vibe where everybody was like oh my god sun-dried tomatoes that's it's something new and exotic yep. I'm seeing it everywhere but i think it's having it's like coming back to life because they add so much flavor to different things they do they, they are great and they last 
um, yeah. they last forever. So, yeah. For sure, for sure. Yes, yeah, this sounds good. So any other future plans that you that we can look forward to? Well, um, so we covered the kimchi. We've sort of covered uh, the pickling. Um, we're, we just hope to sort of get those things uh, really off the ground and moving. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, there's, there's a whole area of pickling that involves um, sort of using, using meats and using proteins, animal proteins. There's, a, there's something called garum, you know, which is sort of a, um, if, if you're familiar with fish sauce, that's a fermented oh, sardine yes. or anchovy, you know. Well, so much umami, so much flavor. Right. And if you've ever worked with fish sauce, I mean, I use it in tons of different recipes oh, yeah. and not just in, um, you know, Asian or Vietnamese preparations, but I'll put it on pizza. I'll put it into panzanella salad. Oh, it's, it's great. And if you make Caesar dressing and you don't want to chop up the, um, an anchovy, you can put some that's, uh, fish sauce right in there and it's that's a easy. good shortcut yeah I was astounded the first bottle of fish sauce that I bought like years and years ago but like I opened it I was like whoa oh my god what is this yeah <laughs> it's very surprising so that has yeah. Remember, yeah one thing I wanted to ask you about pickles I have a friend um who she runs a farm near Akron Ohio it's in Copley Ohio and her heritage is Hungarian and this is her family farm and she's always trying all kinds of cool different things she has mangalitsa pigs which are a breed of Hungarian pig and they're wow. furry but That's... for pickling she just recently made these Hungarian pickles and bread was involved with it somehow and I was like that oh. sounds just so sketchy and like it's going to be all soggy in there but like there's something that the bread does like just whole just made you know, a slice of bread, like on top of the pickles. And I think it's out oh. in the sun. So yeah, I have heard about making vinegar. There's an old Italian method for making vinegar where you put, you take some wine and you add some bread to the wine. Ooh. And I couldn't tell you much more than that, but abracadabra turns into right. vinegar. It's a concoction. <laughs> you know, it could be something like that where they, and that would be interesting if they had wine and they had pickles, so they had vegetables, and they sort of made the vinegar and made pickle at the same time in the same jar. That would be an interesting approach. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of weird Hungarian food because my um, I have some Hungarian heritage too, and like there's this thing called solana where it's bread. You cook it outside. It's like an outdoor, like family gathering thing. And then it's just like lard on top of it. <laughs> just <laughs> and then maybe some green peppers or something, but it's like, we love the lard. And that's ingenious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It runs like in your blood too. Cause I can remember like growing up my dad, like if we ever cooked anything in the pan, he would take a piece of bread and just sop up all the grease. And he's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to throw that out. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I, I think we're just about at time and I can <laughs> talk fermentation um, with you forever. So um, we definitely want to have you back on the podcast and we're going to um, keep up with you and see, see how it all goes. So sure. thank you so much for being here. Have a great Sounds rest great. of your day. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tara. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you.